Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we prepare for more Young Justice, find our Steppenwolf, get strange with the Doctor, and meet our namesake. Stay tuned for all this and more. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. Where we heck and yeah. Yeah, exclusively in that order. Uh, Though there are occasions where we yeah before we heck. But those are very rare. Usually we save those for the holiday specials. And Uh, blood moons. And yeah, and we're probably in a blood moon right now. Uh, And I... Uh, as always, I, I am David, and as usual, that is Nick, and Most of the time. you are the listening audience, and uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is you know, you know what's disappointing about losing 10 minutes of a recording, is that you want to repeat the stuff you were saying in that first time you were recording, but none of it feels natural anymore. Yeah, so we should just try to make it sound as robotic as possible. Also, I'm trying to figure out when the next Blood Moon is. Is Blood Moon actually a real thing? I don't know. I know that people refer to that as far as periods go. You mean, like, the female periods? Duh. Uh, so, <laughs> in order to distract from that conversation, I'm going to mention yet again that I am coming to this audience freshly tatted up with my uh, my third tattoo and, uh, and Nick, do you want to tell the listening audience what that tattoo is? Um, I guess that I ruined it before. It is the sword of Rathwack. 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 It's the Donald Duck version of Rathwack. Uh, from the comic book Rumble by John Arcudi and James Herron. Um, and I believe colored by Dave Stewart. Correct that, me is, if I'm that wrong. is correct. That is correct. Boom. Um, Anyway, it's a sword. It looks like a sword designed by James Heron for a character that's a scarecrow. Um, it's a cool-looking sword by all, by all impressions. But David, I guess my what my thought process was is what was it about that sword and about that book that said, I'm going to commit this to my body? So about the, about the sword specifically is because it is it is pretty pivotal to the, uh, the storyline. Uh, so it has a meaning there. Connect. Ooh, that was weird. Connecting it to uh, the story, but it is also um, it's kind of it's it's like I saw somebody once got a legend of of I okay for some reason I wasn't sure if Legend of Zelda was a thing, but it totally is. Uh, they got like, <coughs> they, they wanted a Legend of Zelda tattoo, but they didn't want to get the Triforce, so they got another symbol from the game, like another very common item, another common symbol from the game. Because their idea was, this means a lot to me, and I really love this series, but it's not, you know, the people who also really love it are going to see it and understand it. So this is kind of like a thing where I don't know if anybody is ever going to recognize my tattoo outside of like a gaming convention or like a comic Mm -hmm. convention. Uh, 
but you know, there's 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 possibility. It'll strike up conversations, and I can ask people if they've uh, heard of the good word of Rumble, and then uh, you know, turn into a uh, like a missionary for Rumble, which you know the book probably needs. Let's be honest, it's an image book. Uh, as far as why why Rumble, uh, it is it is a series that I love in all aspects, and I and I think continues to get better. It has bumped its way to uh, the top of my reading list every time that there is a new issue. Uh, it is it it just really does speak to me. It has all the things that. Uh, I mean, I didn't know that I wanted in a book, um, but it, you know, I, I identify with the characters a lot. I feel for them very deeply. It is just rooted itself in my heart. And, uh, and unless the creators start screwing it up, I'm happy to have this tattoo on my body to be like, I love rumble so much. I want to remember it forever. Plus it, I, plus you, it looks cool. Yeah, yeah, sometimes something just has to look cool for it to matter. And you actually reached out to the creators and let them know that you did, in fact, get one of their creations tattooed on their body. That's correct. I tweeted at uh, both John Arcudi and James Heron. So far, I've only heard back from John Arcudi, uh, who said, thanks for the vote of confidence, and was very excited about the tattoo itself. But uh, James Heron, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat waiting to hear uh, <laughs> what you think. So I know, mm -hmm. I, know, I know you're listening to this show right now. And you're gonna reach out any moment and tell me, tell me that, that you love me. Tell me that you love me. Please validate my existence, James Heron. <laughs> and when people do go up to Dave and they're like, "Oh, that's interesting. Where's that from?" And he's like, "It's from a comic book." David will never ever get a girlfriend. I mean, it's probably a good thing that I already have a wife in that respect. Then, well. Then thank God, because, I mean, you didn't stand a chance out there in the I, wild. Look, I don't think this tattoo is helping that situation. Let me just say that much. Uh, yeah. what? A wife? Yeah. That was supposed to be a joke of, it's it's so repulsive that even, you know, man. See, I felt like it was a joke, but then I feel like you're secretly hiding the fact that your marriage is now crumbling. And now on top of your crumbling marriage... You also won't be able to get a girlfriend when they realize that you have a comic book tattooed on your arm. Let's let's talk about some news. <laughs> Top story today. After a disappointing summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. All right, moving just naturally into the news right now. <laughs> just uh, probably for the best. Probably for the probably best. Probably for the best. Uh, man, I'd ar we'd already done this the whole beginning part of this, uh, but. For fans of the show, this is great news. Young Justice has been renewed for a season three. Uh, also known as a third season in some parts of the world. Or a third series if we're in the UK. Uh, anyway, from DC's official blog, they say that Warner Brothers Animation has begun production on a third season of all new episodes of the acclaimed hit action animated series Young Justice based on the characters from DC Entertainment. Season 3 promises new twists, turns, and dangerous new threats for the team, but most importantly, the opportunity for fans to finally continue the adventures of some of their favorite superheroes. Further details about the season, including premiere date and network partner, will be announced at a later date. Uh, so for those unfamiliar with Young Justice, it is a show that premiered on Cartoon Network a number of years ago at this point. And uh, heavily 
featured the uh, more teen heroes of DC's lineup. So you had uh, Superboy, Robin, Miss um, Martian uh, in the later season. I think Blue Beetle and Kid Flash join. Um, I think Kid Flash was in the beginning, wasn't he? I think Kid Flash may have been in the first season as well. I, I don't remember who else was in the first season. It's been a little while since I've watched it. I still haven't finished the second season, actually. But that's also because I've got 10 million things to watch right now, and it's just it's bonkers how much content there is. Yeah, season one was Kid Flash, Superboy, Robin, Artemis, and Aqualad. Artemis? And, and uh, sorry, Miss Miss Martian. Who's Artemis? Art- Artemis is the... She's another arrow. I mean, Speedy shows up in it as well, but oh, as far right. as that main team, Artemis is, takes that role. Oh, yes, yes, Artemis, yeah. Okay, so she's the female archer character, I remember now. Yeah, um, yeah. so Nick, did I, I don't think you've watched any of the show, correct? I have. I don't remember where I left off. I'm somewhere probably close to halfway of season one, but I never, like... I mean, I enjoyed for what I watched, uh, and it's one thing, it's something that I'll eventually get back to. But and I say eventually, and I'll probably die before I do that because, as you said, there is so much content out there, and clearly, we're just a glutton for 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 things to consume. So we'll see if I if I do get back to it. Uh, it's also like I do enjoy cartoons, and I certainly don't care about any stigma about like adults watching cartoons, even if those cartoons are kind of geared towards kids, like the intention of the kids demographic. But I, it's like. I, don't, I, just, I feel like at this point I just don't – I read comic books, so clearly as far as like an animated look and all that, I don't give two shits about. As, as in like I, I, I like it. I don't care what people no, think. I, I, get what, um, I get what you're saying. Like there is like a an odd feeling of being nearly in our 30s and watching a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Like something about it does feel like, huh, I should I should balance a checkbook. Like, Well, that's the interesting, interesting uh, discussion time. That's the thing about it, like, and I would say you and I are far and beyond not, like, that sort of stereotypical, uh, like, sort of crass, like, neckbeard type that just can't seem to get a life together. Uh, You know, using sort of stereotypical things as far as life progression, like, we're in decent jobs, I'm engaged, you have a wife, you know, like, you know, we we do very well for ourselves as far as being, quote-unquote, normal or whatever. And I think as far as our generation goes... Adults, quote-unquote. We're... Yeah, where our generation group where we had an opportunity where we didn't have to let go certain things that we cherished as kids and we allowed that to evolve into in, in some fashion in our adult selves there's nothing inherently wrong with an adult watching a cartoon even if that cartoon um, target demographic is geared at like um, you know preteens or, or adolescents or whatever or kids um, I think for maybe but at the same time, for people in our generation, I think because of the generation that came before us, maybe older siblings, um, like much older siblings or our parents or whatever, the idea of holding on to things that they cherished as children, like there's such a, I feel like there's such a disconnect between their adulthood and their childhood mm-hmm. that it's hard for them to reconcile the fact that we can lead perfectly normal lives and still watch cartoon about teenage heroes and weird costumes fighting crime. But you know, at, at at some point, especially once we go into having kids and they have kids, and it just becomes the norm. No one gives a crap. And when you think about it, as much as like I wish like there was just like millions and millions of people reading comic books and that their sales was through the roof. The the fact that like superhero movies, probably the most ridiculous aspects, ridiculous genres in comics, are the ones making the multi millions and billions, 
and the movie industry. And these are people that would never read the comics, but are still going and enjoying these movies for what they are. So sometimes there are people who just talk out of their ass or judge out of their ass. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's my uh, that's my inter interlude ramble yeah. on uh, adulthood cartoons. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I'm obviously not opposed to to watching it. I will finish catching up on it. I I think it's going to be one thing that, um, it, and maybe just part of it is because there's so much great live action content as well that like the, it takes a lot for a cartoon to kind of grab my attention. Uh, and also most of the ones that I would watch like adventure time and regular show are not easily accessible, uh, which is a major bummer. I think one thing that was like when I, (laughs) yeah, uh, when I have kids, I feel like it's going to come back around where it's like, let me introduce you to this cartoon. And like, I can use like an excuse of like, ah, but I watch it with my kids. Um, yeah, but you only grow them up on all the things that you miss before you had the kids. Your kid is too, no idea. Your kid is two months old. Yeah. But they really understand the plight of Superboy. Uh, I'm hoping, uh, that this show winds up on Netflix. I think, you know, that would kind of be an ideal situation for them because Cartoon Network really screwed them over as far as. Uh, like airing them went, they I guess would take random breaks in between episodes that could last months at a time, and so it was hard to keep ratings on a show when you're not airing them regularly. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully, it, you know, for hopes of, of future seasons, or if they can, you know, kind of do this in a in a final fi- with a f- sense of finality in the season, uh, cool. But yeah, I'm hoping for. Netflix release personally. And, uh, yeah. Very cool. Glad for the fans. Um, in the meantime, Tom Holland, the current Spider-Man of the world, uh, has revealed that he signed a six film deal to play Spider-Man in, um, um, in the movies, which apparently already includes his appearance in civil war and his upcoming appearance in Spider-Man Homecoming, which leaves four more appearances. Presumably that will include uh, Avengers Infinity War, um, which I think might still be a working title, but at least the first part of the Avengers, and most likely the second part, and then, which only leaves you with, oh, and then that would leave you with uh, Spider-Man 2 and 3. I mean, just like with Robert Downey Jr., if it proves that the Tom Holland Spider-Man ends up being successful... Uh, and depending on where the the state of the the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, is by the time Tom Holland's contract ends up, I could totally see them deciding, okay, we've had six films of a teenage Spider-Man. Tom Holland's also gotten a lot older now. Uh, let's start to kind of bump him up into uh, an older setting because the the Marvel Cinematic Universe does apparently move in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, so all this news really says is he revealed that he's in six films, and that's something where. What that truly means and the quality of the films, none of that really matters, just he'll be in six films. Also, it's been officially announced that Michael Keaton, who has been cast for a long time, and it's been an open secret that he will be the Vulture, and now it's officially an open, confirmed. An open truth that he will be the Vulture. Um, yeah. It's weird. On one hand, I can see Michael Keaton, like, they're obviously not going to go with the very traditional Vulture, the original Vulture, like a, a decrepit old man in a Vulture suit flying around. Like, he's going to be high tech. Um, and they won't play him necessarily the, like the exact way he is in the comics, which is fine. At the same time, Michael Keaton is a great actor, and I'm very curious to see how 
what he brings to the vulture role and exactly what role the vulture plays in this movie. Cause in the comic books, though he's like a Jesus inventor makes his own suit and everything. He's really no more than like a bank robber and thug. So it's not, which I can appreciate because I feel like in all the past Spider-Man films, to some extent, it feels like there's been this overarching, like someone kind of pulling the strings, uh, which it definitely was with amazing Spider-Man one and two. And the first three with Tobey Maguire, maybe it was like, I guess the first one was, I guess someone really was pulling the strings in the, the original trilogy. Um, but I think coming out of the last two films, the idea that maybe it's just Tom Holland fighting a guy in a vulture costume, mm-hmm. you know, is, I think, pretty cool. And it sounds like they're really going to be playing up the element of him. Like, I was reading, I think, in the same article, um, Tom Holland was saying how, like, when it comes to, like, the fight scenes, the idea, like, this is a real, like, 15, 16-year-old kid, um, and that, you know, he's not necessarily a person that revels in violence or anything, so he's not going to try and go out of his way to sock it to someone. Mm -hmm. So if he's going to fight someone, he's going to try and, like, get stuff in their way or or accidentally fight them or something, but ultimately he's just trying to subdue them. He's a kid with zero fighting experience and superpowers. So it'll be very interesting to see how that translates to the screen. Yeah, yeah, the, the Vulture reveal... It's not something that I'm like I'm super jazzed about, but thinking about it now, there is kind of a certain sense to it, where um, I, I feel like Marvel movies tend to skew towards let's have another world-threatening event or like New York-threatening event, and I feel like Vulture is kind of the right level to not have to get other superheroes involved. Uh, yeah. Where, you know, thinking back on the um, the Andrew Garfield uh, Spider-Man films, all of those ended up with New York is now in danger and Spider-Man is only a superhero, so he has to stop them. Uh, this kind of feels like it makes the sense of, like, this could be a smaller threat, uh, but still Spider-Man is the only one who can, who can stop him in the end. Like, I feel like... Spider-Man 1 with Tobey Maguire, you know, you had, um, I, I don't, I don't actually remember now that I think about it, what the Green Goblin's ultimate plan was, but it didn't feel like he was threatening New York. Like he was very specifically threatening Spider-Man himself. And uh, when he found out that it was Peter Parker went after Aunt May and all that. And then like in the second one, you had Doc Ock who was doing something potentially dangerous that could destroy everything, but he didn't have like some ultimate plan to destroy New York. Yeah, and I liked I liked those kind of things where it's like, yeah, it, it's they're definite threats and and they're creating massive problems, but it's not like I release this gas onto New York or you know I'm I'm Electro and I'm gonna do whatever it is I did in that film because it was lizards are gonna make everyone lizards or right. you know Electro burns out the entire city. Like there's always a time and place for the world ending threats. And Spider Man, I feel like when he's at his best, he's it's nice when you can look back on a long career, like say with Comic Spider-Man, and say like there are times where this guy, this kid from Queens, grows up and has like literally been instrumental in saving the universe, mm-hmm. you know. But at the same time, when you put him at such a scale, it breaks that illusion that Peter Parker is you and me. Though in fairness, he never really was mm-hmm. a normal person. He was already a genius to begin with before getting spider powers. But you know, they definitely tried to play him as like your your average Joe. Um, so. Again, as far as this, even though he's a very intelligent teenager, he's still a teenager, and the idea that he gets embroiled in some sort of world-ending threat, I agree, just doesn't make a lot of sense. So, 
very interested in seeing how Spider-Man Homecoming shapes up. I bet we'll get some kind of teaser trailer before the end of the year. I believe so. Maybe, I, with, maybe probably with like uh, Rogue One or something. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. I am, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I, th- I think there's a lot of interesting ideas to be talked about of of Tom Holland aging up and becoming maybe the new face of of the you know MCU as Robert Downey Jr. kind of ages out. But we'll we'll discuss that in episode I don't know two fifty, which uh, will be out in a few years. So that should be about the right time to start having those discussions. You know, when it when it comes to when it comes to the eventual point that like of if they if they decide to recast certain characters with Tony Stark, like they should just bring in Teen Tony from the comics, like just like oh, well we can't get someone that like would like if we go with someone who like kind of sort of looks like or kind of sort of acts like Robert Downey Jr. Like it's gonna fail, so let's just bring in teenage Tony Stark and just start fresh, and then we can keep this guy for like a hundred films. Uh huh. No, please, please don't do that, Marvel. Uh, David, tell me who is playing Steppenwolf in the Justice League. Okay, so, so we're still not sure what Steppenwolf is going to look like. We kind of maybe got an idea in the in the uh, Batman v Superman Donna Justice Ultimate cut that uh, we saw this giant hulking monster, um, but it was revealed that the man who will be voicing and, you know, possibly acting out the role is, uh, I actually can't pronounce his first name. Uh, Syrian Hines. I apologize to him immensely. If I am messing up his name, which I probably am, uh, you listener will most likely know him as uh, Mance Raider, the King beyond the wall from HBO's game of Thrones. Uh, mm-hmm. but he's also been in other stuff as well. Uh, uh, so as, uh, as it has been explained by producer Charles Roven, uh, before there was a history, mankind, the Atlanteans, before they were underwater, the Amazonians, uh, so I think he's saying before there was a history, mankind, the Atlanteans, the Amazonians, and actually the old gods teamed together and decided that based on an event that happened, these mother boxes are going to be placed in the care of, as I say, the Amazonians, mankind, and the Atlanteans. Uh, so that allows us to get into some of those environments. So um, that's kind of an idea of where Justice League is going to be going and what Steppenwolf's role is going to be. Uh, but how Steppenwolf looks, if it's going to be just a voice or if it's going to be maybe a man in a giant suit, uh, we still don't know. But yeah, a, a good actor to uh, to play that role. For sure. He can. I think he can definitely pull off menacing, which will be pretty rad. Yeah, definitely a character that needs a certain gravi- gravitas. Yeah. Um, but what am I trying to say? Um, and I think definitely he 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 fits that role. So it's kind of a wait and see thing at this point. We'll have to see more of Justice League and how he uh, performs. But I mean, all the best to him in that endeavor. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that uh, we should start getting more information on. Uh, I mean, what Wonder Woman is coming out when? Uh, uh, June of next year. And then uh, Justice League is November, right? I believe so, yeah. Justice League release date, because these are things that you want to hear me Google. Yeah, November 17th. So we'll probably... I would say we're probably going to get another teaser 
before Wonder Woman comes out, but maybe like a full-on trailer with the release of Wonder Woman. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I believe that is going to do it for the news, unless, Nick, there's any stories I missed that you can think of real quick. I feel like there was some other stuff there, going on news today, but yeah. I didn't follow up on it, so no, I don't have anything else. Well, in that case, uh, we are going to go ahead and move on to the pull list. Before we do, though, I do want to, you know, I, we don't ask this very often, but I, I do want to ask right now that uh, you, dear listener, would head on over to iTunes uh, or wherever you got this podcast, if there's a rating system there, and go ahead and give us a rating. We would like you to be honest, but, you know, honestly, we would like also a five-star review uh, just so that more people can find the show, contribute, and share their thoughts, and get to hear our wacky and, uh, dare I say, wonderful thoughts. Uh, and we yes, will, thank you. We will now hear them about some comic books, so... To the Batmobile. Let's go. Nick, why don't you tell us about Avengers 1.1? Well, David, Avengers 1.1 by Mark Wade and Barry Kitson uh, revisits an early era of the Avengers. In fact, it's the first real time they had a major shakeup in the roster, which involved everyone of the old guard but Captain America sticking around where he is then... Uh, uh, basically put in place to train uh, to lead a team of former villains, including the likes of Hawkeye, uh, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch. Um, this is an era of the comics of the Avengers comics that I've always found fascinating. I didn't realize how fascinating I found it, and like I, I, I remember like early on when like I read about it as a kid, like in one of my big like Marvel history books, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. But now as an adult, especially with access to like Marvel Unlimited. I've gone back and I've actually read a couple of issues in that era, especially at least the first one where it all kind of shebanged. Um, and it's just, it's interesting that, you know, Marvel took a chance really on care. It's really the, the, the equivalent of like them making a team of Avengers today where they have like that one well-known quote unquote, A-list character, popular character, and then had the rest of the team be, you know, squirrel girl and, uh, Dormammu and I don't know. I'm ruining it, but um, but basically the idea that especially a lot of flack that Marvel gets right now, where they're like trying trying out a lot of like you know B list, C list, Z list characters and giving them titles. This is that equivalent. This and this is a cherished part of Marvel's history. So it's just funny how like people have short memories uh, and don't see the significance of it. But anyway, um, the book basically takes place within the pages of the the first issue that featured these characters way back when in Avengers Volume One Number Sixteen. Uh, at the same time, it pads it in with little flourishes that weren't present in the in the original story, uh, as well as um, a, either I don't know, I guess I can't say for sure because it has been a little while since I read the issue in question. Though I was flipping through it right before the show uh, on Marvel Unlimited, that like you know at the time in that issue like. Cap wasn't around because he was off fighting and apparently killing Baron Zemo with Rick Jones. And by the time he gets back to New York, uh, the Avengers, the other Avengers, Iron Man, Thor, Giant Man, and Wallace are all like, we're tired. We've got other stuff going on. We're going to disband. Oh, Cap, you're back just in time. We just left the keys to two mutant former terrorists and a guy in a, in a, a purple outfit named Hawkeye. Um, 
so needless to say, given the time period where this issue came in, they probably didn't give two shits about, you know, what makes sense to a certain extent. Uh, it was just, yeah, we're going to have Cap team, Cap team up with these guys and people just kind of go for it. So, for example, the idea, like the page where they get revealed to the public, everyone's just like, Cap, say it, say Avengers Assemble. And this book is just like, Cap, you are now leading a team of terrorists and criminals. And obviously in a post 9-11 world, shit like that doesn't fly. So they have to touch on it. So as much as I enjoy this issue, for Mark Wade is for a comic book, for a narrative, it's technically sound. Uh, Barry Kitson's artwork is very clear, very strong. The the storytelling is, again, clear. But on one hand, because it, it tries to live within the era in which it took place and which, like, the costumes haven't changed, even though it's it's technically happening in the past of the current Avengers comics, it's still very much rooted in the aesthetic of the 1960s in which the original story appeared, which is fun in a way. But when we're dealing with a story that will most likely isn't just like Marvel's not just telling the story for funsies. They're telling it because it'll probably have some secret history revealed that oh. will impact the, you know, Mark Way's present day Avengers stories. Um, mean, for me, it feels like, and this again, this is my preference. Again, the issue is technically sound. I think it's worth giving a shot if you like Avengers and like revit having like a revisionist history. Um, but I wish they almost took it further. They really tried to cement it. Um, in like a modern aesthetic where they really kind of, you know, tried to keep the important elements of that, of this cookie quartet era for the Avengers, um, but try to make it as make as much sense as possible within a modern setting. It might break certain elements of it, but it's, it's part of me, again, for someone that maybe grew up in that time or, or close to that time reading these comics, they'd probably read it and be like, this is very enjoyable. I love revisiting my nostalgic past. I obviously don't have that same, so I'm reading it and looking for something a bit different. But if you like sort of a classical Avengers comic, revisiting a a beloved aspect of their, their, um, their history, it's worth checking out. Interestingly enough, they, um, they end up facing off with the, the, uh, frightful four, which includes, uh, Medusa from the inhumans. And uh, I'm assuming, knowing that Mark Way is pretty much a big comic history buff, that he knew what he was doing when he inserted them in here, because they most certainly aren't in the original issue, or at the very least the issue following this one. I double-checked on that. Um, but um, what am I trying to say? I have no idea what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a good book. Um, people, you know, again, if you like The Avengers, check it out. Um I don't know if I'm going to keep going with it, though. Obviously, there's a crap ton of comic books to read out there. Uh, might be something I, fo- I follow up on after several issues or when it starts to hit on Marvel Unlimited, you know, in the future. But, um, yeah, that was Avengers 1.1 by Mark Wade and Barry Kitson. All right. Very cool. Uh, well, this week, I decided I was going to try to go a little more indie you know, than usual. I'm usually uh, in in the big two, or I do, you know, sort of a typical image book. Uh, so I saw on the shelf this week that there was a new book from Boom Studios um, by Steve Orlando. Uh, so I decided, hey, why not give that a shot? We like Steve Orlando here on the show. So it's by Steve Orlando and uh, Jacob Rebelka. It is called Namesake. Um, I left my copy at work, unfortunately, so I can't give credit to uh, the rest of the people working on the book. Uh, but good, good job, you guys. 
Uh, anyway, the book in the book, every seven years, there is a dimensional alignment between our world and another one called Ekte. I believe it is E K T A E. Uh, You're the, correct. Uh, okay, you know that for sure. Uh, I've read up on. The, I haven't read the book. Okay. I, I totally forgot it was coming out today, but I've read up on it. I'm just doing it. anyway. Uh, the event is referred to as Ekte's blessing, and people use the time. Uh, basically, it happens for a week, and people just party for a week. Uh, Jordan Molosis is a firefighter uh, who has some connection to Ekte, and we see him kind of running around. And firefighters also seem to have some sort of cop capacity in this world. Uh, but anyway, he has a run-in with a goon of a of an unnamed character named P. Tallison Farrier, uh, who has it out for Jordan, the firefighter, and they get in a little scuffle. Uh, and then later that night, he uh, returns home and receives a package containing two iron urns and a message from his dad telling him to bury the urns on Ecte with a promise that all will be revealed uh, after uh, about his own history and the history of his two fathers, uh, because this, this man apparently had two fathers. And after another confrontation with more of P. Talison Farrier's men, Jordan makes it to Ecte and is immediately placed under arrest. Uh, so, yes, there is a lot going on in this book, and uh, there's a lot thrown at you at once um, with little to no explanation. Uh, you start to pick up on some stuff towards the end, uh, and you know, I kind of appreciate a story that doesn't um, doesn't feel like it needs to over-explain everything to its audience. Like they do do like, a good enough job of immersing you in this world uh, through like through the dialogue and the storytelling. That you're you're picking up on what's happening without someone being like like you know a, a narration bubble popping up. Be like every seven years this happens. And my job as a firefighter sure is hard. Uh, you know, you're able to pick up on, on context and stuff, but at the same time, there feels like so much that we're kind of expected to already be keeping a track of in a four issue miniseries. Uh, like there, so the, the character of Jordan seems kind of bland, uh, when he's kind of introduced and then like gets into this fight and has this confrontation with his, um, roommate slash boyfriend their relationship is not defined and is incredibly ambiguous and seems to kind of be that way on purpose um which like would be okay if there wasn't already so much other stuff going on like it almost feels like too much uh mm-hmm. and uh it, like I just, I just never felt like he was a very interesting guy like all of a sudden he has this motivation to know about his history uh which like I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in this book, so that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I just kind of wish we were focusing on fewer mysteries. And I and I understand they're wanting to put an emotional punch on this book, but I feel like having a guy exploring his past to learn about his dead dads, like that's there's a lot of emotional punch, like right there, uh, that we don't need to add on this this kind of roommate storyline. Um, Especially if he ends up on the other world. Yeah, and, at the at the end I mean, of it, he's on it. Yeah, it's one thing if like obviously because I, I based on the previews I've read and the interviews I've read, um, the 
it's like if he and I know it's only open for like a week or something. Mm-hmm. So the idea that if he gets like trapped on the other world and he's, if it he's if they were like seven boyfriends or they they like emphasize that they they really were like affectionate towards each other, um, and that like he could get trapped on here for how, how long is it again? Seven years. years. Seven years. Seven years. So seven days and then seven years. You know the, that idea that like he has like as much as he's trying to explore this unrevealed family mystery or something that he has someone that is worth getting back to may have been better established, but obviously you're the one that's read it so far. Well, and, uh, and I feel like, I feel like it's just cause there's four issues that it feels like we're already dealing with a lot in this main storyline, uh, that it, it just feels like they're, they're going to be trying to jam a lot into here and maybe they're going to pull it off. I don't know. This is, this is the first issue. Um, and I wasn't a huge fan of the art, uh, it was very, very static. There was not really a lot of energy in the images. Uh, there is kind of some interesting design in the people, you know, who are from Ecte have like these markings on them that it's kind of unclear if they are born that way or if they uh, like get them put on them later in life. But Jordan might be from Ecte. Um, like I said, there's like there's a lot going on here and uh it's it's like there's some really really cool stuff and i'm not like at all looking down on the book for having so much going on uh but it's like with with four issues i just i could be like a little bit worried that it's going to be overstuffed and that they try to tell too much and don't allow some of the emotional beats to hit uh, but then again, maybe if just whatever was introduced in this issue is all that we have to deal with throughout the four issues, then, hey, maybe they can tell uh, an interesting, you know, an interesting story. Like, because it doesn't feel like it's going to end just when he, like, suddenly learns about his dad. Like, he's, it seems like he's tied to something much bigger. Uh, so uh, my, my kind of verdict on it is, you know, if you're out there, like, wait on it. I'm going to wait on it till all four issues are out and then pick it up in trade or, you know, pick them all up online when there's like a sale on boom or something. Uh, it's, it, there, there's some cool stuff there, but I just, I don't have a, a, a full sense of it. And if it's only going to be four issues, I don't want to pass judgment on it too much of this time. And I would rather just kind of wait until I can get all four at once in a nice little binding. Nice. Yeah, it's it's a book that I've been following and then apparently completely forgot to continue following. Uh, as a, a big fan of Steve Orlando right now, it's in the way that you describe it, and that, and I think like Steve, Steve Orlando, most of his writing, he does try to kind of just let you live in the world, like doesn't try to hold your hand on some part. But I remember mm-hmm. reading the preview, it felt like there was a lot of extra narration in the book, and he usually keeps the like the captions and stuff pretty quiet uh, in his work. So maybe cause it's, uh, I mean, he's done other original works before, but maybe for like, like this is a pretty big world building attempt for him. And if he only has four issues to do it in, I feel like that is why there's probably a feeling of it just kind of overfilling. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah, it feels like, but, like they, maybe they had kind of planned out six and they were like, can you do it in four? <laughs> and he's trying to make that work out. Uh, but you know, we'll see. We will see. Uh, I I think though now we're going to discuss the latest entry into uh, the MCU, and that is the recently released Doctor Strange. Yeah, um, that did come out in the last week, and 
it was good. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, before we dive in, for those who have not seen it, here's a brief, uh, fairly spoiler-free synopsis, but we are going to get spoilerly in our discussion, as we tend to do. Uh, actually, no, there's there's definitely some spoilers in this synopsis as well. So, if you haven't seen it, uh, sorry, guys, but come on, it's your own fault. Uh, anyway, after an accident destroys his hands, surgeon uh, Stephen Strange... Dr. Stephen Strange, uh, searches for a a solution and finds one in the the mystic arts. Under the training of the Ancient One, Dr. Strange becomes a prolific sorcerer and finds himself face-to-face with Caecilius, a former student of the Ancient One who is now under the direction of Dormammu. Caecilius seeks to break the barrier protecting Earth from Dormammu and only Dr. Strange stands in his way. Nick, what did you think of the film? So overall, I very much enjoyed it. Um, I would say, uh, and it might pace a bit better upon a second rewatch, but I felt that the uh, first act, sort of everything from establishing him as the arrogant surgeon uh, up to the, the car crash and then going on a journey to eventually land at the Ancient One's doorstep was kind of rushed. I felt like I, it had it to, I definitely to me, agree, yeah. It just it felt like it paced very quickly. So even though like you don't necessarily want to spend a long time dealing with an arrogant douchebag, um, the it just was like, oh yeah, yeah, he's a he's a dick and like he likes to quote or like pop quiz um, like eighties pop songs or whatever, um, you know. And like like they for what they do, they do a very good job of being like this guy's kind of an arrogant jerk. Um, and then obviously they kind of set it up so that the story could go in so many different directions, but boom, car accident happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then, and then there's the healing period. So that's why it's like, now that I'm saying it out loud and describing it, I feel like if I went back and watched it now that like my expectations have been tempered, it might flow a bit better. I've noticed that with some Marvel movies that the, upon a, a one or two more rewatches, like they tend to flow a bit better. Um, but once you get into the, the education stuff and it basically becomes like a tiny little Harry Potter world. I'm saying that somewhat facetiously. Um, the movie gets really good and doesn't really let up from there. There's little issues I have here or there in, you know, the fact that even though he's clearly a quick study and a prodigy and all that as a surgeon and he was able to pick up the, the magic very well, it felt like some things were kind of skated over to kind of give him to a position where he would be formidable. If I'll bet a bit of an underdog going into the final conflict. But again, as far as just being able to sit back and enjoy it, I think it did a really good job. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely did uh, enjoy the film as well. I thought Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, did, did fine. He had a lot of vocal fry in his American accent. Uh, I do agree that upon that first viewing that it definitely uh, did feel rushed in that first act, but then things did kind of, you know, they did kind of stretch out a little bit. Um, I thought for me, like one of the strongest aspects of this movie is the visuals. And I think that kind of speaks to the director, uh, the director's kind of sensibilities and his history being like a horror guy. Cause that's all that, all of that is about, you know, memorable imagery, and I thought that he brought some really, really cool, uh, really cool visuals to this movie. I was worried that, like, oh, all the spells are just going to be, you know, 
weird folding inception buildings. Uh, but they made a point that that was a very specific thing that not everyone can do. And it's considered very powerful. Um, and like most spells are, uh, you know, just like they, like there's various spells to do a lot of various things. Um, I, uh, one thing that, uh, yeah, like you talking about, like they kind of rush some stuff to make him formidable definitely does speak to me because there's a point where he's in the, uh, the sanctum for New York and, uh, Caecilius shows up with his two lackeys and they get in a fight with like the current protector who's supposed to be like a master well-studied. Uh, and then he goes down in like two hits and then Dr. Strange, who is supposed to be like still fairly new at this, though time is also really kind of wonky in this movie. We're not sure how long he's been gone. Um, that, uh, that he is like, uh, you know, he's never been in a fight before, but he is enough of a threat to these guys to, to save the, uh, the sanctum entirely from them, uh, which, you know, was fine. That was actually, that was a really great sequence. Um, th that's another thing I love about this movie was kind of the creativity in the fight scenes, mm -hmm. uh, where it wasn't just straight up like guys throwing punches. There's plenty of like throwing punches and stuff, but when you have magic involved, like the world's going to shift and like spells are going to do things and magic floating capes are going to block blows and stuff like that. Uh, so I, I did, I did really enjoy those, uh, those parts of it. I, I definitely think it was a lot of the little moments that I think helped it rise to the top. You know, I, part of me would have almost liked to see uh, a more, a darker, more horror, super, like, you know, supernatural esque, like, if they had somehow foregone the origin story, just like the idea of, like, Doctor Strange showing up at someone's doorstep because they have a certain supernatural, um, is it Malady? Malady? Malady, I think Mal it would be correct. Malady. You know, and then he has to figure it out and it leads to some sort of, like, ooh, situation. Um, but the humor in the movie I felt like was more or less on point. Even if I wasn't bursting out laughing at a joke, I mm -hmm. was like, like, yeah, yeah, that was pretty funny. But stuff like the, um, like there was some of the Wong bits were, yeah. were really funny. Yeah. Um, and there was one in particular that now I'm blanking. I, even it, I was just it, thinking about it. Is it when, uh, he talking to Wong about Beyonce and then it, it smash, stuff, yeah, yeah. smash cuts to Wong listening to Beyonce while he's like, yeah. while he's picking well, up books. Wong doesn't find anything funny, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, or uh, the the Wi-Fi password thing is just like, like we're not savages. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of something that like I I love that moment so much, and it fits so well even in the context of the movie that I'm kind of sad it was a joke at the end of a trailer, uh, because I, I felt like it would have if I didn't know that was coming, it would have punctuated that scene a lot better. Absolutely, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like you have to avoid all of the the marketing just to get a, a clean experience. And I keep saying I'm going to start avoiding marketing, uh, but I also never do a podcast do. about comics and yeah. it's tough. Yeah. I didn't watch it, but I bet it was good. Next story. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, overall it's, it's, you know, the mighty Marvel marching machine marches on and it was good. I, I agree to a certain extent with some people's assessment that like at this point, Marvel kind of needs to figure out that next fresh approach. Uh, I realize wait, hold on, hold on. I, finally, I finally found this. Hmm? Uh, it's so quiet. 
right, because you mentioned like Marvel marching. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. No, good old school reference. Um, it's something they can't do origin stories. Like Captain Marvel is probably going to be an origin story, uh, and and it's a tried and true formula. It works. It's a good popcorn film. People go, they enjoy it. Enough said. So. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, because I was going to say, because I have some questions written down that we've kind of been discussing a little bit here, and that's one of them, is that people have said this film is formulaic, and I was going to ask if you believe that to be true, because I, I do think there definitely is a formula to it, and there's been a formula to the the films. There has, but I always have a problem with people saying that's formulaic. It's formulaic, like, they obviously mean it in a, a negative way, like, every movie follows a formula, and yes, the extents of the Marvel Universe, they've all more or less followed a similar formula, but as long as the execution is good, you know, and the formula works, is it really a big deal? And obviously that's going to d- differ from person to person in their experience. I think it works for Doctor Strange, um, for what they ended up accomplishing. Um, I just feel like going forward... They've got to shake things up. It's good that they're not, like, I'm sure they'll have some flashback scenes in Spider-Man Homecoming, but it's good that they're just kind of getting right into it with him being Mm -hmm. Spider-Man. And obviously for characters like Doctor Strange, characters like Black Panther, Captain Marvel that no one really knows, um, you know, they need kind of the benefit of an origin story. It just, I think part of it is the mentality that it sucks because, okay, we have this movie, and then we're probably not seeing a Doctor Strange 2 until at least, like, 2020, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's it's almost 2017. So at, at the earliest, it's probably 2020. Yeah. And you know, that's obviously like three years, you know, over three years from now. Um, so it's like, oh, okay, we got through the origin. The origin was good, but like, I'm ready for that, that, that second bit where we're just like in the world. We're fine with it. He's been studying for a while. He's good. And like crisis. Well, we, we, we know the next film that he's going to appear in. Uh, and that it, and that is actually something I want to get to. Uh, yeah, we can just go ahead and get into it right now, I guess. So there's basically two questions I want to address before we start wrapping up here. Um, one of them is the way... Th- so the reveal that Doctor Strange's next film that he will appear in uh, will be Thor Ragnarok, for those who stayed to the very end of the credits. If you did not, shame upon you. Uh, and... I was disappointed with some of the reveals in that interaction because where Thor... Uh, Dark World left off, it was that Loki is in power and people don't seem to know that. The way that this little tease here at the end is it's like, oh, well, we we, we figured out that Loki was in power and now we're searching for Odin. It's like that really interesting place we left off at, now yeah, we're skipping ahead and, you know, not really going to fully resolve that. Unless, I mean, unless, like, this scene that showed up in Doctor Strange is going to appear in uh, Thor Ragnarok. If it appears exactly, because like at the end of it was Ant Man, they had the Civil War bit, which actually was in the movie with Falcon and, and Cap having Bucky prisoner, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that followed through. So this could be the scene that gets ripped right from the movie itself. Um, I kind of wish, I kind of hope they rework it a little bit because I felt like it was played a bit gaggy here, which is fine for like, an, like a momentary gag scene, but but not, you know. Probably for the though I'm sure Thor will be quite an exciting, fun, typical Marvel movie. Um, you also have to remember that Thor Ragnarok came. That's right. Thor Dark World came out. Came out. Came out in 2013. So 
three years and technically four years by the time Ragnarok comes out has passed. And I think what they're kind of going for this is my my um, speculation is that leading into we also haven't seen Thor since the end of Age of Ultron, which was what 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. no 20. 2015, it was last year. 2015, so last year. Um, is that we haven't seen Thor in a while. He he leaves at the end of Age of Ultron to go back to Asgard or whatever, and clearly he gets there, and in the time between Age of Ultron and Thor Ragnarok, I'm sure he figures out that Odin is Loki, and just... I, I get the feeling that Thor Ragnarok opens with him, like, trapped on some gladiator planet with the Hulk. Yeah, and then it kind of backtracks from there. Yeah, it's just disappointing. It's like, okay, here's the really interesting place we left off. Uh, but don't worry, guys. About the next time you see Thor, that, that's uh, that, that's kind of already been resolved. And I you know, I get there's the impetus of him and Loki are off searching for Odin. Loki stored Odin, you know, God knows where. And that's they're off on their little adventure. It's just, you know, I... I know that that's what that was what was going to happen. That's fine, but I would have rather seen that and re- had that revealed in a Thor film rather than a stinger at the end of Doctor Strange. Which I think is fair. I think is fair, especially because it's just played for a gag and it's a pre- pretty significant plot point. You know that Marvel would have ultimately ruined in a, a marketing trailer anyway. Yeah, but it's true. But um. Yeah, no. Um, overall, Doctor Strange was good. I uh, definitely would enjoy seeing it again. Whether or not I get to it in theaters is another question. But so um, we might run you a, know, bring on. Might run a minute or two movie. long for this uh, in this episode because you know I do think this is a a question that we should ask. So is oh, Kais- sure. is Caecilius memorable or is he another forgettable Marvel villain? I think forgettable Marvel villain. He's ultimately forgettable Marvel villain. Uh, so here's one thing. So they they set up, and you know Marvel movies love to set up the next film. That's pretty much all they do. Uh, not all they do, but it's a lot of what they do at the end, uh, which makes perfect sense because that's how film franchises work. Anyway, is Mordo uh, set up to be a better villain? I didn't feel like we got a great sense of the guy in this movie. I do appreciate having more screen time of him before he's a villain but I didn't feel like I really knew him that well that I his turning on everything affected me. It, I felt like, like clearly part of it was that I did feel like they kind of tell you, like they tell you Mordo is rigid, and then they kind of tell you Mordo is disillusioned. And then at the end of the movie, some he claims that like some months have passed since the end of the film itself, and in that time he's gone... He's gotten so disillusioned and, and deranged that he's now seeking out people and a, any sort of magic capability he have, he's removing them because he thinks the world has too many sorcerers. Um, so I do appreciate that we get that, not only will we get more time with Mordo in a future film, um, but that we had a chance to get to know him in a way that we, the, only, the last villain that we've really been, we've been able to get to know like this is Loki. Um, and obviously for people that are for the uninitiated, just watching the movie, they would have had no idea that Mordo would end up being a bad guy. Um, Mm -hmm. I definitely think that for what we did get out of him, he probably needed either, they either needed to sort of rework his scenes to have a bigger punch to really make you get in on more like, all you find out is that he, 
made it to the ancient one's doorstep in a similar fashion to strange Mm -hmm. uh, that he was arrogant and he learned humility and he turned that arrogance into sort of a rigid moral view and now it's broken and he feels betrayed and it's an interesting point to take a person who ultimately goes down the road of a villain because at the end of the day like he was seemed like a genuinely good person Mm -hmm. but the idea that his rigid worldview is what kind of breaks him causes him to break that he couldn't be flexible um, yeah. it's interesting cause you, I feel in that sense, you feel bad for him, but, well, but it, then you see like that crazy look in his eye at the end and you're like, Oh, he's a bad guy. Right. And that reveal of his, his rigid past comes from the ancient one, um, played by Tilda Swinton. Uh, and I, I feel like if we had had a moment of Dr. Strange and Mordo, like relaxing in between their studies or, uh, you know, because we have a scene of them training and fighting together, which is fine. Like that, you know, serves a purpose. Um, but if they had like had a scene kind of extending after that, where it's like the two of them are sitting, looking out over uh, off the mountain and, and they're just kind of talking and they share a little bit, something about their lives like that. I, I feel like would have kind of had a bigger impact on his character. Oh, and I agree. And, I agree. Yeah, and I also felt Rachel McAdams' character uh, was fairly pointless. Um, it, it served its purpose in the narrative, but I feel like... It was like, a waste of Rachel McAdams. Yeah, it was, and you could have replaced that with good friend or sibling as much as like love interest, and the story would have had, it would have had the same impact, I think. Because I'm definitely not... like One thing I could care two shits about going to Doctor Strange 2 is their relationship. Yeah. Like, it, like as you said, like it serviced the film for what the plot needed, but I can probably guess where their relationship stands. And if anything, I whether Rachel McAdams comes back or not, um, I feel like they're going to go off in a different direction. Like, for Doctor Strange, I can see the benefit of having a, a love interest who's a, just a normal person, not caught up in the same world that he's not caught up in, but there's more interesting love interests that he could have than how what Rachel McAdams' character was. Like, it was a very unfortunate waste of her, of her acting abilities. Um, what was I going to say? Another thing that I felt... Oh, I can't remember what it is. I should have written it down. Keep saying something, David. Uh, ultimately, ultimately, though, you know, we're just kind of talking about the lower aspects of the film because, you know, you, you don't want to sit and hear someone just talking about... Oh, this film is so great. That's not as interesting. We did both very much enjoy the film. Uh, it definitely is worth seeing in theaters. I think the visuals of it are stunning. Um, you know, I think like some of the fight scenes in, say, like some of the Captain America movies are really, really great. But I don't think there's as much of a loss because everybody has like a bigger screen these days. Uh, but there's not much of a loss going from a, a theater to your home screen where I feel like this movie, the visuals are big and it's worth seeing them on, on as big of a screen as, as you are able to. Did you have time to collect your thoughts there, Nick? I have no idea where I was going. It was well, good though. It was good. It's okay. We're, 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 we're pushing our time anyway. So, uh, I think both of us give it a thumbs up and, uh, you should be out there seeing Dr. Strange in theaters while you can. So I th- oh, sure. I think uh, that's going to bring us to asking ourselves uh, a question that every week haunts us. You boys aren't nerds, are you? Absolutely we are. And now we're going to recommend some nerdy things to you, our fellow nerds. Nick, do you have anything to recommend? 
Uh, not really, though I did. <laughs> I see that look on your face that other people can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, um, what am I trying to say? I'm pulling it up. Uh, I, I haven't had a chance to really play with this yet, but I find it very fascinating, and I feel like this might be something that other people would find interesting. So uh, I'm a pretty well-put-together person, but sometimes I let certain things fall by the wayside. In comes an app called Habitica, which basically structures things that you do normally in real life around an, a role-playing game-type basis. So you get experience points for doing the dishes or putting dishes away or making your bed or just any kind of thing, chore or whatever that you take care of in the middle of the day. And as you gain points and then through the thing, you'll fight monsters and um, you know something that you can also do if you have a significant other where maybe sometimes you have a hard time divvying up tasks. And certainly it's never fun when you do that, but like make it into a game and it could be a relationship saver maybe. It's something that I definitely want to just attempt and either just as an individual or potentially with Anna. Um, but I think the idea of it, of taking something that, I mean, granted we should all just do for the sake of doing it because you can't let your life fall apart. But I think the fact that they can take that and put this fun dimension into into the experience of like, I'm going to do the dishes, but I just got like 300 experience points for doing it. That's pretty cool. Um, is a really good idea. So if something like this interests you, look for an app called Habitica. Um, in the uh, at the very least, it's on the Android store. I didn't even bother to check to see if it was on the App Store, Habitica uh, App Store, and it um, looks like it is. So you cool. can get it on the uh, the App Store and the Google Play Store cool. and check it out. Make sure you throw that in the uh, show notes there, so I make sure to get that uh, out to the people. My uh, oh, a quick update on the tattoo thing: the Rumble uh, Twitter account, uh, which is Rumble underscore Image, has liked and retweeted my tweet about the uh, the, the tattoo. So nice. Yeah, things are going. Things are everything's uh, coming up. Millhouse. Let me just uh, let me just close that so I'm not distracted. So my recommendation for this week uh, is. Hmm. You know, I don't want to just promote other stuff that I'm on in, in recommendations. Also, uh, I will say that my recommendation this week is the book "The Dark Tower" by Stephen King. Uh, I know what you're saying to me, most of you. Where have you been? That book's been out forever. I've probably read it six times. Uh, well, I hadn't. Uh, so the first one, it's, it's a series of books, the Dark Tower series. The first one is called The Gunslinger, which I finished yesterday, and I'm starting to work my way through the second one. Uh, it is a a series of novels by Stephen King. Uh, it is a sci-fi, fantasy, western, all this stuff rolled up into one, and it really, really works in a really strong way. Um it is uh, also a film is coming out, but I think uh, the the story it's going to be vastly different, and so it's definitely worth it to check out the books as well. Uh, it is about a gunslinger uh, who is chasing down a dark sorcerer all while trying to find this thing called the Dark Tower. Uh, the purpose of all of this is revealed in the pages and absolutely worth your time. So the Dark Tower series, starting with The Gunslinger, book number one, make sure you check that out. Nick, do you have anything else you want to say to these people? Uh, 
stay strong into this good night. Nick is tired, ladies and gentlemen, and his face is also made of snot at this point. Oh, it's so bad. Well, thank you, everybody, for giving us a listen. You can, of course, find us at heckyeahcomics.com and reach out to us at heckyeahcomics at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics. You can find me on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, uh, under the name Davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. You can find Nick attempting to clear his head of all the snot that's stuffing him up, but never being able to do so because this is his perpetual hell. And as always, you can find us here next week, same bat time, not same bat time, that's copyright infringement. <clears throat> same heck yeah time, same heck yeah channel. Until next time. Goodbye. Ever.